Expedition 44 here with Matt and Ryan. We are on a series of women's roles in the church, and this is the last film, the fourth installment of our series, and it's primarily getting to the heart of the subject is can women be elders? And when you say elders, you're going to take into account a lot of teaching and leadership over the large umbrella of the church. Yep, so we're gonna jump right in. Uh, last time we saw that uh, neither of the passages we looked at said that women couldn't teach, preach, or it didn't exclude them from authority. Before that, we looked at headship not being about authority also, yep. um, and equality in the church. Uh, our first episode, we saw even in creation, there's mutuality in yep. the image of God. So today we're gonna look at eldership. Yep. Um, so uh, we're gonna look at two passages um, and they overlap. And the first one is in First Timothy uh, chapter three. So this is right after the one we talked about in the yep. last video. Yep. So we're picking up there and then Titus, um, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. So uh, let's just uh, read it. <laughs> so um, here's a trustworthy saying. Anyone who aspires to be an overseer, that's the word for elder there, um, desires a noble task. Now the overseer is one who is above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, uh, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own home and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a worthy manner of full respect. And if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of the church of God? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the judgment um, as the devil. So he also must have a good reputation with outsiders. He must not fall into disgrace. Um, in the same way, deacons are to be respectable, sincere, and not indulging in too much wine. Um, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must hold to deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and there is nothing against them. Let them serve as deacons. In the same way, women must be um, worthy of respect, not malicious, talker, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in all things. A deacon must be a faith, faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. All right, let's jump right into Titus 1, 6 through 9, and I'll read that one too, because again, we're going to kind of deal with both of these at the same time. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. All right. So first, let's look at the context. We always like looking at the we context. Like yep. So um, Titus was written to appoint elders in the church in Crete. Now, Crete was a brand new church plant, and we know yeah. this in Titus 1.5. However, Ephesus had been around for like a decade, yeah. and we see already in the books of Timothy and um, Acts 19 also that 
they had some issues there at the elders. Two false teachers were basically kicked out of the church, yep. and they were likely elders, because yep. um, elders are the ones who do the teaching. Yep. Um, so if Paul's giving instructions here, maybe to fill those vacancies, strengthen, strengthen the eldership maybe in Ephesus, so it's important that he gives guidance of how um, this is supposed to happen and the misbehaving women who we saw their conduct, if you read the rest of earlier in First Timothy, he's giving specific characteristics that counter them so that they can't come and usurp authority. Yeah. So understanding the two passages, the first one is to make sure you take Titus 1 as kind of a newer church sure. understanding, and then we're going to take the other one as more of a in-depth church that has been around, yep. established for a while. Mm -hmm. Now, in doing so, when I read this in English, I've said this mm -hmm. before, in like in our last video, when I read this in English, it just seems like he's talking about men. Yeah. Yet, when you get into it, when you read beneath mm -hmm. the skin in the original language that it was written in, it seems like you get a very different feel for that. And I think, unfortunately, in Western eyes, that's what people continually do is they just mm -hmm. stop at the English and don't get past it. Yeah, and so I think the big thing here, Paul's comments about elders, um, especially in first uh Timothy here, chapter three, they're not just coming out of left field. Right. He just spent like, uh, like the first chapter saying, talking about his concern of the false teachers and them wanting to become teachers of the law who don't understand what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> and then the second chapter, he sets out instructions related to the false teaching and his instructions to both men and right. women. So he addresses the men and then the women in chapter two. And three, this leads into the conversation about eldership and he immediately goes into the qualifications of an elder. And that's his main concern of this is that elders need to be teachers who aren't falling into this. So he says eldership is good work and it requires people to behave in a certain way and, and it's different than the men and women that he addressed in the previous chapter. Now I'm going to say again, and I've said it in previous videos here, that this is extremely eloquently done. Mm -hmm. This, the, It's really important that you stop and pause. This isn't to be read flatly. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's a puzzle where everything is connected. There's this circular, this is what I love about yep. the Bible. This is what keeps me coming back and just going, oh my, that was amazing, amazing. Yep. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the next thing that we get to here is, no, there were no chapter breaks. Yeah. In the Bible, so they just didn't read it. They you don't have those little headings yeah. on the top of yeah, them. Like they will say like instructions yeah. for the church or something <laughs> like that or this. So the last thing that he talks about in two fifteen is women, and then he goes into three one, which is might be a juxtaposition there, and the yeah. subject might still be women. It says they, but in three one, Paul says if somebody or anybody yeah. wants to aspire to be an overseer, that's still in the context of women there. Yes. So in the context here, he indicates that it's both men and women. Uh, he uses the word tis here and everywhere else, tis isn't masculine or feminine. It's referred to the people he's talking to, the whole, yeah. the whole church, men, men and women, if anyone aspires to be an overseer. So. So, so the main thing is, is the, the wording himself, use, using of the word, it doesn't say male or female. No, it it's, seems it's, like he's actually encouraging the women who were the last subject yeah. to aspire to be elders. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the natural reading in the right. Greek right. of it. So we got, we're got we talking about the behavior of the women earlier in, 
in in Timothy, and and he also addresses it later after this. So it's almost like a chiasm, like we're saying. This is kind of the the peak of it. And he says certain things in these qualifications to be an elder, which are opposite of the women who are usurping authority in that church. Yeah. So So he specifically doesn't want them being elders. This is really hard to get people that have American Western Mm -hmm. thinking to understand. It's if you if you went to the eastern part of the world, they wouldn't have any problem getting this. They they mm-hmm. would just read it this way. But oftentimes things are set up with something to start and something at the end that's going to come back, and then the middle is the connectivity part of mm-hmm. it. And so you're kind of getting a contrast of here to a contrast here, and then in the middle is where things land. And so that's really what Paul is doing here. He's creating this picture, and oftentimes people are going to want to only yeah. take the beginning or the end, and they're not making the connection. Yep. Um, and then the next thing, like you're talking about, we read this in English, and a lot of people don't know Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all the English versions here, when you're reading First Timothy 3, like 1 to 7, I believe it is here, um, use the masculine possess- like pronouns and possessive. So, so he and his. He and his, yeah. Yeah, he and his. And so, for example, the NIV, which was what we read from, used he seven times and yeah. his four times in the text. But in Greek, all those he's and his aren't there. Right. They're not there. So you'd read it very differently. If I handed you the Bible and you mm-hmm. just... just said, I'm going to wave the magic wand and you can read this in mm-hmm. Greek, you would read our English translation, then you'd read it in Greek and go, oh, it sounds like it's saying something totally different. Yeah, so all of the, basically, pronouns there are all neuter. Yeah. So Gender neutral. Yeah, it's yeah. feminine, masculine. Yeah. So it's it's both. So he's talking to to both. And if he... If Paul was giving instructions that only men could be elders, he couldn't have done it more poorly. Right. <laughs> you know? And Paul's very eloquent. He so, is. you know, he he wouldn't have done that. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So, the only problem in both of these is basically when in 1 Timothy 3 2 and Titus 1 6 is where he uses the phrase, one woman man. Yeah. It's Why a, is that a problem? Because it, it's the only thing that re- supposes a gender. Yeah. It's the only thing that does. So, uh, we need to look at the whole rest of the context. Um, and you can't just, um, in Greco-Roman um, world, when you're addressing a group of people, you would always address in the masculine. It's like us saying, you guys. Yeah. So we address that in the masculine, but it could mean for women too. Yeah. And so that's the way that people spoke and the way that people wrote in the Greco-Roman world. And we still do that too. Mm-hmm. In we English, do. we oftentimes we always go know, the masculine. use the he when it means everybody. And yep. it's just it's just accepted. You, mm-hmm. you wouldn't read a novel where it was referring to a group of people as, as he and go, oh, you know, that, yeah. that, whatever. Yeah, so in the context here, we need to understand it, I believe, generically, and we'll give you kind of a little bit of evidence here. And also, yeah. it's just because a word is in masculine doesn't mean that it mean has to mean a man. For example, wisdom in the Bible is always in the feminine. Does that mean women are the only ones that are wise? Right. Right. So, no. Men are said to be wise, but it's referred to in the feminine, so yeah. it's kind of... A, a same thing here. Study on righteousness kind of takes you that same way same too. Way you too. know, yep. like are, are men not righteous? Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the primary meaning for for man here, um, we can if we look over to Acts seventeen twenty two, we see when Paul is addressing the men of Athens. Yeah. Um, we read a couple verses down in this men of Athens. 
there's a woman that a woman that was converted. How can that happen? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you look at what what do we have in First Timothy five nine, we have the opposite, uh, the reversal of this phrase. Yeah. Saying, so it's a list of qualifications and for a widow. Yeah. yeah, for a widow, and and it just leaves you kind of stepping back on. I guess yeah, women, well, I guess women are women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it uses it, when it's applied to a man or a woman, it, it's not. Um, about their gender. Right. That's what this idiomatic phrase means. It's about the sexual ethic yeah. that they are supposed to be faithful to their husband. And it's a one man, one woman relationship of sexual faithfulness. Which and, also plays into polygamy and homosexuality. Yep, yeah, and eldership. So if he says, hey, you guys need to be faithful to your spouse, it could mean both guys and girls. He's just saying it in the masculine. Yeah. So when Paul, also, this brings us to the talk about singleness in 1 yeah. Corinthians chapter right. 7, where Paul says that it's better to be single right? because you can devote yourself to the Lord, but if this is requiring you to be a faithful husband or wife, can a single person or an unmarried person or even someone who doesn't have children be right. an elder? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think the idea was if you don't have kids, you can't be an elder. I uh -huh. mean, that's, that's not or what if it's you weren't saying, married. But, but that's how you might read it if you want to go that way. Yeah, if these are definitives. Right. Or if they're generalized, you got to see. Yeah. So, it would also mean that uh, Paul was single, Jesus was single. We don't know, besides Peter, if any of the other disciples were married, they couldn't be elders. Right. So, in Timothy and Titus, we kind of get this criteria to be an elder and is is it criteria that's only for men or are women capable of these things too now the bible tells us the answer to this yeah uh we've got like 15 things here of what paul says an elder should be in every single one of them in the book of titus or for or first timothy says that those are capable of a woman yeah every single one so we have an elder is good work. Paul expects women to do good work in 5.10. It says elder must be above reproach. That's 3.2. And in 5.7, Paul expects women to also be irreproachable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, women are to be temperate in 3.2. And Paul expects women to be temperate in 3.11. How about self-controlled 3.2? And in 2.9 and 15, we also get that Paul expects women to be this way. Yeah, they must be respectable, is what Paul says also in 3.2, and women are expected to be respectful in 2.9. How about hospitable, also 3.2, and then in 5.10, we get that for women. Yep, elders must be able to teach, and in Titus 2.3, it says women are expected to be teachers of what is good. You guys getting the, this, this is that mm -hmm. Eastern thinking I've been yeah. The front, the back, they're combined in the middle. But there's more. We're not oh, done we're not yet. Done. Elders must not be drunkards. That's 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. And Paul expects women not to be drunkards. That's Titus 2-3. Yeah, elders must not be lovers of money. And women are told to avoid adorning themselves with gold, pearls, expensive clothing in 2-9. Yeah. How about good managers of their household? We get that in 3-4. And then in 5-14, it also says women are going to rule their household. Yeah, it says they're supposed to rule. What does that mean? <laughs> Wait a minute. Women rule their houses? Yep, that's what it says. So elders must show dignity in the way that they keep their children under control, and Paul expects women to show dignity in 311. Yeah. So 3.6, it kind of gets into this elders must not be new converts. It's kind of 
falling into condemnation of pride and things like that. But then later, it says Paul expects women to be humble and not in condemnation, and that's in 5, 10, and 2. They're very mm -hmm. similar. And that's kind of interesting, the new convert thing, when you're looking at that cult of Artemis stuff we talked yeah, about. Um, right. The last one here that I got is elders must have a good testimony from outsiders. And then in um, 5, 7, he expects women to have a good testimony among outsiders. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, some might say here, if you jump down to verse 11 in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that there, these instructions are specifically to women, or says the, some will translate it, the wife of a deacon, um, and saying, oh, okay, well, this excludes women from eldership, but not from deaconship. It'd be like a complementarian mm -hmm. thought going that but way. If yeah. you read like 8 and 10 along with it, and they're also gender neutral right, there, right. still, <laughs> um, it's not the masculine pronouns aren't there in no. those those verses so paul is what paul's saying in verse 11 is since he's been ripping on the women right pretty hard a little harder than the men yep. for most of the time he's reaffirming them that change your behavior learn to teach put on these qualities and you can aspire to be an elder and do this yep. good work so let's talk about some conclusions here before we move on we're going to kind of go to some biblical examples but before we do that let's just kind of bring some thoughts to this. So every time that we see Paul list this qualifications of leaderships, the expectations are to both women and men. He's not really singling out one or the other. Yeah, so Paul specifically uses gender neutral terms here in both passages in Timothy and in Titus um, without the masculine pronouns and possessives. They're not in the Greek. So if he wanted to exclude women, he did a horrible job yeah. of doing it. Now you brought out a point of one woman man and I kind of just let you go through that but it's an idiom mm -hmm. and so if you were to read this in Greek it actually doesn't even make sense since there's some places in the Bible where I know that that wasn't the way it was spoken. It was likely in Aramaic or even Hebrew mm -hmm. because the idiom really comes out and yep. in, in this one when he says one woman man that's the idea that you get and it's about sexual faithfulness more than anything else yep. mm -hmm. faithfulness to between one man and one woman yep and so our kind of conclusion is scripture doesn't ban women from being an elder it actually rather encourages both men and women by the neuter pronouns and stuff like that and language there that they're supposed to mutually work together to lead and guard the flock so according to those two textures, that's where we would arrive anyway, but now we're still gonna say, let's let's check our work, so to yeah, speak. So now, let's go through and look at the whole Bible and do we see this taking place? Yep, so the first one, if we go back to the Exodus, we've got one third of Israel's leadership team was Miriam. So she's working with Moses and Aaron and Miriam was the prophetess and we talked yeah. about prophecy a little right. bit ago. Uh, and she was a worship leader. She led the whole nation in in song. Now Deborah is a little controversial because like I said, she was the judge that rose up and judge were kind of seen as prophetess leaders. The church is mm -hmm. Israel, yep. so they're overall the church at this point. And a lot of time complementarians say, well, no one else would rise up. Yeah, so does that give uh, make it okay if there's no man to rise up in church? Can a woman be a right. leader? 
Right. right. That's gonna if you're gonna be consistent then in your theology, that's the way you should go as a complementarian, yep. yet they don't. Yeah. So the next one's uh Huda, the prophet. We get her in Second Kings twenty two and Second Chronicles thirty four. And this is one of your favorites. Tell it us is. a little bit about so she it. She said she was a prophet in Jerusalem. Um and just so Josiah discovers the long lost Torah in the temple and he realizes how Israel's failed to live up to the covenant. Yeah. Um and so then he repents and he asks for a prophet. So and Josiah calls for prophets. There's a number that we know at this time were serving and had ministry. So this is, this is crazy. Get this. There's a whole bunch of big names. In fact, it's the all-star lineup of prophets. Who do we have? So here, here's her, here's uh, Josiah's options. Uh, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Nahum, Habakkuk, or Halut. I mean, some big names. These are, if I asked you who are the prophets, these are the ones you would tell me. And so who does he call? (laughs) Crazy! To, yeah, he calls Saluda to explain how Israel can get back on track and teach him how to get Israel back to following the law. Yeah. He doesn't go after the men. He calls Saluda because she was exceptional among the prophets. Now, you guys know I love the Old Testament. Now, I could go through and I could give you way more examples than this. There's all kinds of small places mm-hmm. where you see this. I mean, we've done a whole series on Job and you could even put... Job's wife yeah. being able to speak not only to him, but also to those advisors, which yep. is kind of crazy. Yep. So then we, um, when we get to the New Testament, uh, when Jesus rises from the dead, um, the first ones to take his resurrection gospel message, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. So mm-hmm. not, he didn't say, oh, we'll go call Peter and have him come back to me so I can talk to him and then he can go tell everybody. No, yeah. he sent the women to go tell the men. And then you get into Paul's world and we have three really big names. We have Priscilla, Phoebe, and Junia. Yeah, so Priscilla, we got Acts 18, Romans 16, 2 Timothy 4. So Priscilla and her ministry partner, which is her husband, Aquila. Um, so Priscilla is always mentioned first yeah, whenever they're listed. Interesting. In the Greco-Roman world, this was nuts. Yeah. You would never list a husband. <laughs> uh, it would always be a husband before a wife. Paul, what are you doing? <laughs> or, or always a woman before a man, even if... So the point is it's intentionality. It it wouldn't be this way if it wasn't intentional. Yeah, and they taught Apollos a more accurate way of God. Yeah. Um, Yeah, she's listed as Paul's co-worker then in um, Romans 16. So Phoebe's next. So Phoebe uh, says she was a deacon at her church, Church of Crancrea, which met in her house, which... Most, uh, I know egalitarians, complementarians will argue this, but usually if the church was in your house, it meant that you were the leader, the pastor of that flock. Now, there's some people that would say she was the leader because of her finances. Instances. Like, it's kind of understood that she was probably the benefactor of, of Paul. So mm-hmm. she's financing the missionary mm-hmm. journeys and yeah. things like that. And there probably is truth to that, mm-hmm. but... It actually, some people would, you know, it's funny when a complementarian tries to use this for their argument because if that's true, that she was the benefactor, she's also bestowed with sometimes delivering it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that's going to be hard for a complementarian to swallow. So what we know from letter deliverers and even benefactors sometimes in the ancient world is uh, we know from Paul that she's the one who brought it. Um, probably with a company of people, yep. um, and she was the benefactor of the letter of Romans. Yeah. Um, so usually the one who delivered the letter was the one who would speak the letter. So likely Phoebe was the first one to preach the, the letter of Romans, 
And the way that this happened, it would be performed and people would then ask questions afterwards and that. So she would have to explain Paul's theology in Romans to the men in the church. So the picture that we get of this is they're presenting it. Mm -hmm. And so you hear that word throughout the New Testament of a presentation of the gospel, Mm -hmm. for instance, or something like that. And it essentially means preaching. It's Mm -hmm. hard to say any other way, but it's preaching or teaching. So we have her bringing the letter and going to be expounding on it, explaining it. And remember that sermons, I don't know why we don't have church services very often this way, but at this time they're going to be preaching and then people are going to be Asking asking questions and then they're going to be answering the questions by answering more questions. And it's this very back and forth type of thing. We get that in Jesus with his, with his ministry mm-hmm. a lot. And so if you're going to be presenting it, you also need to be defending it. And that's kind of where a dissertation thesis comes from. Of You're not just presenting mm-hmm. this, but yep. you actually got to really know you it. You got to defend it. Yep. yep. Last one is Junia that we're going to touch. I mean, there's a lot more that we could go into. Yeah. We're just picking some highlights. Yep. Um, so Romans 16.7 says that Junia is outstanding among the apostles. Yep. So Junia is a woman's name, though some translations try to make her uh, Junius um, into a masculine name. John Piper is really bad at trying to argue for this. It's and I'm uh, yeah. I'm smirking and laughing over this. It's like one. a boy named Sue in the yeah. because like the name in Latin has the connotations of like a female Greek god. Um, so it was likely maybe a slave name. Or something. So so can you say there's a boy named Sue? Can you say that there's a boy named Junia? Is, would we find that anywhere else? No. And actually, people have looked at names and all the Greco-Roman writings that we have access to, and. They can't find a single Junius. They have hundreds of Junias. Yeah. So it's pretty much a, a like it's a it's a slam dunk that yeah. it's a female. Right. Um, and the second thing is here where it's translated that she's outstanding among the apostles. That's the Greek word en en, which is our word in. Yeah. It doesn't mean just in the vicinity of. It means she's an apostle. She's in the right. group of the apostles. She's not only in the group of the apostles, she's prominent in that group. She's a church planter. She's a yep. trainer. Yep. She's a leader. I don't know how you say it any differently. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's what John Chrysostom, um, from, he lived from 349 to 407 AD, says about this, about Junia. Apostle, to be an apostle is a great thing, uh, but distinguished among them, consider what an ex- ex- extraordinary accolade that is. Uh, they were distinguished because of their works and because of their upright deeds. Indeed, how great was the wisdom of this woman that she was thought worthy of being called an apostle. Yeah, I mean, that just kind of says it all there. But <laughs> yeah. there's even more. So, yeah. you know, what's really interesting about Junia is that she was in jail. Right yep. Now, why, Matt, is that interesting? That in the Greco-Roman atmosphere that a woman was in jail. Women didn't go to jail. Yeah. Yeah, they, they would... Usually either just kill them or just punish them and send them away. But women did not go to jail. So Junia is likely in jail for preaching the gospel. There's another king and it's not Caesar. Right. <laughs> so, they, so yeah, public nuisances was the only way that women went to jail. Right. So uh, and the last thing which I find extremely interesting is um, Paul says Junia was in Christ before him. 
Yeah. Now, Junia is the Latin form of Joanna, according to uh, Ben Witherington. And um, Paul says that she's a Jew here in, in uh, yeah. verse 7. So Joanna in the Gospels was healed by Jesus in Luke 8, the first couple verses there, and then followed Jesus and said supported his ministry along with Mary Magdalene and Susanna. Yep. So Joanna was named also among the apostle or uh, among the women who went to anoint Jesus' body with spices and found that the tomb and the, was empty and stone Seems to away. really fit the bill. And it's not out of the ordinary for people to have two names. We see that in almost mm -hmm. all the disciples yeah. had two names and everything else. And it could have been because there's a Greco-Roman world and then a more Hebraic world mm -hmm. or something yeah. like that. Saul. Different names for different dif different times, places, things mm -hmm. like that. But this isn't far-fetched at all, I guess is oh, what yeah. I'm saying. No. All right. So what what do we have here? We, we see, we saw the conclusions that women can aspire to be elders. I think this is very simple uh -huh. when you put it yeah. together. And like what, what does all this say? You know, looking at the consistency have, of the scripture. Yeah. Women have led. Yeah. <laughs> and women are leading. Yeah. And so it's it's just like there's an awful lot of evidence. So from the very beginning, I go back to Adam and Eve again and I say the the overbearing message is that they were created in the image of God to be light bearers, to be priests to take that to the rest of the world do we see any difference you know in the rest of the story it it all oh. reiterates the same thing yeah men and women together um so one a few things we just gotta look at as we as we wrap up here is like um let's look at the new covenant so the new covenant god promises forgiveness of sins to his people and puts his laws and yeah. writes them in our hearts and so that we can be that that priesthood it's our new identity and our calling so when we look at some of the implications of this yeah. is union with christ through the yeah. life death and resurrection of of christ it enters in um it puts forth the new covenant and that new creation is is being born yeah. so if he's defeated the curse in that and if that submission of yeah men ruling over women was part of the the consequences yeah and he's defeated that it's not there anymore and shouldn't no. be in the church. Now, I go back to the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, when we get this idea of Pentecost and everything else and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to the believer, we we don't get it that it's limited to certain gifts or functions or one person yeah. or another person or something mm -hmm. like that. The interpretation is that all the gifting is there. So yeah. why would we interpret that differently Male or female? Yeah, we always see it as um, a body. A body, the body in First Corinthians' analogy does different functions, but it doesn't say whether those body parts are male or female. Right. It just says that these are the gifts, and it doesn't. So the point is, gender is if that was the intention, wouldn't they have said yeah, that? Yeah. Said, oh well, you yeah. women, you get the gift of hospitality, but you men, you get the gift of teaching. Here's the lift of <laughs> list for women, list for men, but no, no we don't get that. We're it's all the one body. body. Yeah. It's mutual. Yeah. So yeah. So um, yeah, it's one. When we look also, um, the first pronouncement of the New Covenant done in Acts specifically mentions women as recipients of the Holy yeah. Spirit, and yeah. it never says that um, it's different. Um, in the Old Covenant, circumcision was the marker, and men could be circumcised. Yeah. In the New Covenant, we have baptism. Which is for men and women. Both of them, mm -hmm. yeah. And there's even an argument on that one. I could spend another 30 minutes talking about women grafting into the covenant of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. but we yeah. don't really need to go yeah, there. It just yeah, so when we look at the kingdom of God, um, it's different than the kingdoms of this world. We went yeah. all over that in um, yeah. our Upside Down Kingdom yeah. series of the Sermon on the Mount, and sometimes 
if we do this patriarchal stuff, it, it looks a lot more like the kingdoms of this world than the kingdoms of God. And that is probably what I would say my biggest hang-up with the complementarian style of this is that you're going to take the mucked up world and you might even put Paul in the middle mm -hmm. of that at right dead center of yep. the mucked up world of God wanting to restore his order and bring back the relationship that he had and we're not getting God's ideals we're getting the mess in the middle yeah so God's kingdom is all about the great reversal of we see Eden at the end and Eden at the beginning and it's the reversal of the what happened in the middle yeah and so but we also see that the kingdom of God is about inclusion. That No one's left out. No one's left out. And we yeah. talked about this with the head coverings of yeah. how Paul and his view for the church with the head coverings was equality. That's what the yeah. head coverings meant. It was equality that we're all one in Christ. Yep. And that can have some uh, eternal ramifications. But yep. we kind of touched on that on our hell series. Yeah. So uh, the priestly call for all believers is kind of the last thing we saw yeah. that Adam and Eve function as priests in Eden. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the... The priesthood of the old testament and so when we look at church leadership today we're all called to be prophets and priests in in his kingdom and be his mediators and we see from acts to revelation from when the church began to um our picture of eternity that the call for people to come into that kingdom and to work in the giftings of the yeah. kingdom is men and women together. So that's Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you take that reference to man and woman being one, united mm -hmm. with God in marriage, it's a consistent hermeneutic. Yeah, and it seems the biblical view of church leadership is men and women working together mutually rather than a hierarchical Yeah. Thing. So I hope you've really enjoyed this series looking at complementarianism and egalitarianism. And, you know, Matt and I started off this, you know, years ago of saying, like, we just want to know what the scripture mm -hmm. says. And when we dive into the languages, into the textures, into all these kind of things, it seems to be very overarching, in my opinion, to say that, the Bible really seems to come off as an egalitarian understanding in God's ideal mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end. In the middle, things get mucked up a little bit, but that doesn't mean that we need to stop looking to God's ideal as being set apart, holy mm -hmm. priests given to God's ideals. That's what we should be looking for is to be treating them as if God says, this is what I want. Let's do that. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us as we dove into the role of men and women in the church. And uh, we uh, hope you enjoyed it. And God bless you and keep you.